Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, February 23rd, 2024. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tony on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, we are heading into the weekend. Any big plans for you over the weekend, theatrically speaking? Very excited to be attending the very first preview of Water for Elephants on Saturday. Ooh. And I am currently, what I'm about to go see is my most anticipated show of the spring. Oh, like right this evening as we're recording? As we're recording, yes. Okay. Um, I feel like I should know what this is, but I can't pull it off of the top of my head. It is the Life and Slimes of Mark Summers. Oh, of course. Right, of course. It's opening night. So, And, and you're up near New World stages. So, of course, that, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I, I cannot <laughs> wait for you to see that. It is very much up your alley. I saw it last week with our friend Rebecca. So we will wait to hear your thoughts on that one. But... If you want to hear everything we have from Broadway Radio uh, before anywhere else, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. All right, Grace, we are going to start off the news today with some sad news, but not terribly sad because you get a little bit of a warning. But yesterday it was announced that the Broadway production of A Beautiful Noise will close later this summer. It has set its final performance for June 30th at the Broadhurst Theater. By that time, it will have played 692 performances, 35 previews, 657 regular shows. Don't check my math. I might not be right. From there, it is scheduled to launch a national tour in Providence, Rhode Island later this year. Of course, Grace, as we've talked about quite a bit, they have done some really interesting things with how they have tried to market this show, especially in the second year of its Broadway run. Everything from going to a Thursday matinee to doing the post-show concerts and doing some talkbacks and stuff. I think they've really done some interesting and creative things from a producing standpoint and a marketing standpoint. And I admit, I enjoyed the show a lot more than I expected to, not being a specifically Neil Diamond fan. So I want to encourage everybody to go over to the Broadhurst Theater before the show closes uh, and check this one out. It'll very well likely might be coming to a theater near you on tour. But with Nick Fradiani and Amber Ardolino, I think this is a show that a lot of people will enjoy, even if they don't expect to, Grace. I fully agree with you. The The dancing is really phenomenal. The noise, if you will, that is their name. That's not, that's not, swear, that's not me just like making that up. Uh, the ensemble are working so hard every single night. And I just want to say like, it is the, the little engine that could. Like it has, mm-hmm. you know, surpassed almost every single show. Uh, yeah, the last two that are still open currently from that season that were new shows for that season are Anne Juliet and A Beautiful Noise. So, oh, oh and uh, Kimberly, Kimberly Kimbo. Kimbo. Uh, but yeah. they've now announced already. So, like, for April to June, it's those two shows. Yeah. This is a very long lead time until they are officially closing. Most companies do not get that much time. So the team was was really strategic on deciding what that date would be. And I think it's, yeah, to your point, it's it's been really, really great to see all of these innovative ways that they've managed to continue on. Now, the lead time is awesome, but the date itself is kind of interesting to me, Grace. A June 30th closing date is weird because normally we think of just every show wanting to run through the summer because of the increased tourism. Now, they might know that because of advanced sales, you know, and it's not really a family or kid centric show that it's just not going to be a good summer for them. So that very well could be the reason they're going to close at the end of June. It also could be something that a situation where a show wants to be in the Broadhurst, 
by September and they want to have enough time to load out Beautiful Noise to load in something else that takes, you know, July and then into August. So I, I'm not sure what that is, but it is curious to me, at least a little bit, just because normally things are trying to stay open as long as they can in the summer. And if you make it to at least the first month of summer, it is a little unusual for it to be closing up shop, at least in my estimation. I <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, well, let's move on to some other Broadway news. While that show is going to be ending performances, this one is adding performances, or more accurately, adding more performance. Because Alan Cumming is not acting his age has added a second night to its limited run at Studio 54. Originally, it was only going to take place on March 11th. That is a Monday night because at Studio 54 is where Days of Wine and Roses is currently happening. So this will be on a dark night for that show. He has added a second Monday night, this one on March 25th. Both shows will begin at 7.30 p.m. Of course, he played many a performance of Cabaret in that venue after it originally opened somewhere else and transferred over there. He has also done this show at multiple places, including the Theatre Royal Drury Lane in London. If you have never seen Alan Cumming do a a solo show like this with his band, of course, it is certainly something to check out because he's incredible. I mean, like everyone knows Alan Cumming is amazing, Grace, but to see him in this format is really, really incredible. I want people to do these all the time. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I think that if they can manage it, if they can get that producer, whomever to pack it in for those one or two nights, it's awesome. And I think this is how we combat a lot of the closed theater. I know that there's one trillion logistics that go into this. Like, it's not just like give them a space and they'll perform. It's not it's not the same as doing something at like Laughing Buddha comedy in the West Village. Like, this is totally different. (laughs) But I think that. Um, yeah, that's a real thing I did, but yeah, I think it's awesome. And like, even with the Joe bro of it all with the, when the Jonas brothers did those five nights, I know we never got our Weezer, but I'm still holding out hope mm. for specifically Matt and I, and that's it. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the more, uh, the more, the better and congratulations to them for even being able to do two. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some show and casting news. This is both expected and unexpected because yesterday it was announced that the upcoming New York premiere of Illinois playing at Park Avenue Armory has extended, but it's only extended by two performances, which is a little strange to me. It'll begin performances on March 3rd at Park Avenue Armory. And it was originally scheduled to close on March 24th. It will now add two more performances on March 25th, which is a Monday, and March 26th, which is a Tuesday. I expected it to be extended. I did not expect it to only be extended for two days, which is a little weird. Um, It is currently playing in Chicago, but this is the new dance-heavy musical that focuses on the concept album Illinois by Sufjan Stevens. It is featuring direction and choreography by Justin Peck, who also collaborated with Jackie Sibless Drury on the book. That's weird, right, Grace? Like, I expected this, and I think it's it's very well still could get extensions, but like to announce an extension and it only be two days, like that seems a little odd, right? I think that because Park Avenue Armory is just a different type of venue, this might be all they could get. Like, I don't know if it's like, you're right, it's not normal, but for the same token, like it might've just been like, oh, cool, we have this company that we can do it for this much longer. So that might've just been it. Yeah, I just assumed that it would have been built in to everything when it was coming in, like the dates that it has at Park Avenue, like the extensions were just built into the contracts and the schedule. Uh, But if not, I mean, like you said, a lot of things come and go from Park Avenue and it's not all theatrical either, but 
I guess we'll have to wait and see. I'm looking forward to hopefully having an opportunity to see it, but I don't know that I'm coming in March, so I'll have to wait and see if it ends up doing performances in April or not. All right, we are going to stick in Chicago. And Grace, I will have to warn you that this story has nothing to do with the road to WrestleMania, despite what you might think. But yesterday, Chicago Shakespeare Theater has announced the full company for its upcoming world premiere comedy called Judgment Day. The cast will be led by none other than Jason Alexander, making his Chicago stage debut. It'll also feature familiar names like Daniel Breaker and Candy Buckley, alongside a cast of other standouts. The show will be directed by Moritz von Stupnagel, and it will run from April 23rd through May 26th. The show is about a staggeringly corrupt, morally bankrupt lawyer who's threatened with eternal damnation by a terrifying angel after a near-death experience. In a desperate attempt to redeem himself, Sammy forms an unlikely bond with a Catholic priest who is having his own crisis of faith. Moving on to something very different, but a story that I feel like is going to make a lot of musical theater historians incredibly happy. It was reported that this past August, a researcher at the University of Michigan discovered a box of just a bunch of materials from the Samuel French collection. And in that box was a complete script and score for the musical La La Lucille, which was the first ever full-length book musical written by George Gershwin. The show played Broadway in 1919 when... Gershwin was only 21 years old. It did did a tour of the Northeast that next year, and then in California in 1922. Then in 1926, a regional production, which featured Busby Berkeley in it, marked the final official production. The Third Avenue Playhouse in Wisconsin did kind of a piecemeal version, trying to collect what they could from materials that existed at the time back in 2019. But this is the first time that the entire script has been seen since 1926. Many people thought that it was lost. So this is very exciting. I'm sure that there will be people doing it at some point in the very near future, especially because I'm guessing it's probably out of copyright. So we will have to wait and see with that. But Grace, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you could have one lost work from an artist, any artist, whether it's a known work or not, kind of resurface, what would it be? Okay, it's Nora Ephron. 100% it's Nora Ephron. I would I would love to find uh, hey she they, you know some studio bought it but then they actually she passed away and then it didn't get sold or something like that like it would definitely be Nora Ephron yeah that's a very good answer very good answer and the final show and casting piece here Grace yesterday this just sounds like fun I know nothing about this show but it sounds like fun. It was announced that an industry reading will be taking place on Monday for a new musical called. Songs for Slutty Girls. It's a new musical with book, music, and lyrics by Kaylee Marshall. It'll be directed and choreographed by Jen Weinman. And the cast includes Liana Ray Concepcion, Sidney Kane, Tatiana Lofton, and Ryan Redmond. They are playing things like Heart, Head, Hips, and Gut, which uh, just seems like a very fun concept musical. And I saw liana posting about it on social media and she said that she's been like obsessed with this show since she was in college which was probably only a couple years ago because she's very young but i've never heard of it but it seems very cool that it is getting an opportunity to have a couple industry readings next week so we'll keep an eye out for that one all right grace uh in some other news that kind of stirred up a little bit of a dust storm on social media in theatrical circles on thursday before an announcement official announcement came out there were some people both some 
theater performers and stars, as well as some online rabble rousers. There were people concerned by the fact that it has been a month since the death of three-time Tony Award winner Hinton Battle, and we have not gotten any information about when or if the lights of Broadway will dim in his honor. As we discussed when the the date for Cheetah Rivera's uh, dimming happened, these things aren't done in like priority of importance. These are often done with the coordination with the deceased star's family. And that is what it seems like is happening because earlier on Thursday, the Broadway League put out a statement that said, quote, the committee of theater owners, which is actually the people who make this decision, not the Broadway League in full, will honor the memory of three-time Tony Award winner Hinton Battle by dimming lights on a date and time being determined in conjunction with Mr. Battle's family. An official announcement will be released with final details once determined. As I believe we talked about at the time of his passing, after he stopped performing, Hinton more or less became a... Uh, a choreographer solely and he lived in California. So it does not surprise me at all that it takes a little bit more effort to get everybody in New York city to witness this event more so for somebody who lived decades on the West coast than it does for Cheetah Rivera, who spent most of her adult and professional life in New York city. Yeah. I hope that's the reason. <laughs> Sorry. That's all you can cut that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's fine. I mean, like I look, I'm never somebody who, wants to give the Broadway League the benefit of the doubt because I think they're a horribly run organization. But I, I do think it makes sense. Like, I, I, we talked about it at the time. Like, I just, I, I don't see there being any reason for them to throw out his family if that was not the case because that's easy for the family to be like, well, we didn't hear anything about this until yesterday. So I, I think that that's probably a fairly safe assumption that this has been in the works and it's just something that takes yeah. a while to get managed. Absolutely. And I think that with The Wiz coming back to Broadway, there are going to be more opportunities to celebrate his legacy. Absolutely. All right, Grace, and our feel-good recommendations, I have something that's a little different than the normal stuff that we do. Normally, we talk about uh, videos and and articles and songs and stuff like that. But this is a little different. On Wednesday, it was reported that global superstar Zendaya has made a $100,000 donation to the theater where she kind of got her start. She made a $100,000 donation to the California Shakespeare Theater. She grew up in that theater far before she ever became a performer because her mother was the house manager in this gigantic outdoor amphitheater. And Zendaya kind of grew up for 12 summers or so handing out programs and all of that stuff before she actually started taking classes there and performing. So we know as kind of, we talked about earlier this week, how, donations really are what make theatrical not-for-profit organizations run. This is a huge donation, and it is not only huge because of the size of the check that she has given to the theater, Grace, but also because it was done in a way that she allowed it to be public so that other people can kind of see that this is something worthwhile. And it brings a lot of attention to Cal Shakes that hopefully can keep them up and going for many, many years to come, and it, hopefully it encourages some other A-listers to put the, some money into the organizations that help them get their start as well. 
this is great. I need her to also announce that she's going to be in Romeo and Juliet on the West End. I know that's not real. That's not me even dropping a hand. I know absolutely nothing. And she's probably 100% not doing it. Um, I just wanted that to be the announcement. That's all. But this is also great. <laughs> Can you imagine? The tickets already are completely sold out. Can you imagine what the secondary ticket market would be <laughs> if Tom Holland and Zendaya did Romeo and Juliet together in the West End? Can I tell you, I would rival it to Taylor Swift. I'm yeah. not even kidding. Like, I genuinely believe it would be bigger than Hugh Jackman on Broadway. I'll say it. I'll be brave. Yeah. I mean, I think either one of those people in a, in, in a show, obviously we saw because it, it sold out, you know, just on the initial on Tom Holland himself is huge. But you put those two together, both gigantic stars who have been in a relationship together for years. I think that would be uh, unbelievable. Not going to happen, but I, I think it would be unbelievable. All right, that's all we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can follow me on Instagram at Matt Grace, where can people find you? You can find me at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Friday, a wonderful weekend, and we'll be back to talk to you on Monday. 